It's good to see you this morning. Happy New Year. Well, here we go. I'm liking the participation already. It's a new year. Let's go. New energy. Am I right? Um, my name's AJ. I have the privilege of being on staff here. Um, it is 2022. 2022. I have now been here for almost six months, which is crazy. Love the excitement about that, too. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. I didn't pay him to do that, I promise. But in this, though, it's kind of crazy that it's 2022. I felt like it's flown by in some ways. Uh, for other ways, I feel like 2022 is dragged on. Um, but I, I'm excited to be with you here this morning. I'm excited uh, to jump into a new year. For those who love consistency, we're going to stay in the book of John. I'm one of those people. And so I was like, yes, let's keep it going. Uh, but I do pray that the holiday season was a time where you were able to rest and slow down uh, and spend some just good quality time with the Lord. For me and my family, it was uh, in some ways restful and slow, but with two small kids and grandparents who want to just love them immensely, man, it was a lot. It was a lot. We went up to North Carolina. We hit two, uh, we hit both sets of grandparents and man, we had a good time. There was a lot of time in the car. And let me just tell you, I'm pretty sure I was sanctified in that uh, with patience. Uh, there is some of the most entertaining times in the car with children and some of the most infuriating times where I had to repent. And so we're not here though to hear about what I need to repent of right now. Um, and so out of that, um, and I'm not gonna tell you all about my Christmas trip, but we're gonna look at something a lot more life-giving and that's gonna be God's word this morning. And so today we're gonna be looking at all of John chapter six and there's a lot happening in this chapter. And I feel like every time I get up to preach, it's one of those things where I have to go ahead and give the caveat, man, we're not going to be able to turn over every gem that's in this passage. Uh, there's a lot here, um, but what we are going to look at is Jesus satisfies. And so the big part of our text today is going to be surrounding food. And I don't know about you, but coming out of the holiday season, I understand why New Year's resolutions have so much to do with food because I ate a lot of it. Uh, one of my resolutions for 2022 is just to eat good food. Now I'm gonna let you decide if that means good for my body or good for my soul or some combination of the two, but I just plan on eating a lot of good food in 2022. And so I do hope that you had a good breakfast or you can make it to lunch because we're gonna be talking about food a lot and specifically the glorious thing called bread. And so we're gonna be talking about that. And so this morning out of John six, but I, I'm gonna admit when we talk about food, I'm not a foodie. There's foodies here, I've met you, it's so cool. You like to be adventurous with your food, that's not me. I find something on the menu, I like it, it's game on. One of my favorite restaurants uh, up in North Carolina uh, is called Cookout. Man, there we go, we got some North Carolina people. It's wonderful, I love it. They got a wonderful menu, but every time I go, I'm getting the spicy chicken sandwich, Cajun fries, corn dog, and a huge sweet tea. That's it. If I'm gonna mix it up, I'm throwing ice cream in there, but that's about it. They got a whole other like, they got all this menu, but that's all I'm getting. I do the same thing wherever I'm at. If I know the restaurant and I know what I'm getting, and I, that's just me. But I know no matter how many cookout trays I eat or my mama, I love her, but she had just a whole tray of cookies at her house this time when I went. And I just walked by and grabbed a cookie. But I knew every time, however many cookies I eat, I would be hungry later. And I know that. I know whatever I eat, however full I get without fail, man, I'm going to be hungry later. But we also can realize that's just not with food either. I feel like Everything in life just leaves us wanting more. At least I felt that. I mean, you watch a great game, a good movie, you get done with a good book, and it's just like you want more of it, or you wish it could keep going. Man, I, I felt this over the holidays with friends and family that I hadn't seen in a while. 
Man, it was a sweet time together, but I just was left wanting more. I remember those who weren't with us anymore, and I wanted more time, more interactions, just another conversation. And it just left me with this just hunger inside for more, just more of what I could have. And I think it's something we wrestle with daily, not just physical hunger. We have that. Our bodies need food to survive. But, it, but there's this drive inside of us, which isn't a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. It goes sideways, though, when we think we're going to go after something that's truly going to fill us up. And so we see our relationships and we try to fill the void that we have with relationships. We work the long hours and feed that beast inside of us that desires more, more status, more money, more power. And we continually go. We're trying to feed this inside of us. We strive and hunger to not be overlooked or left behind. And so we study longer, we work harder, we stay in that relationship longer because we're, we want something. We want to be filled and we want to be satisfied. And I, I'm here, I, I get it. Culture tells us, man, keep, keep pushing through. Just work a little bit harder. Go for it. Man, you got this. My buddy Rocky Balboa, he just says, keep punching. I'm just like, okay, let's go, Rocky. Because I, I resonate with that. Man, you work hard enough, you put in the work, it's going to go out all right. It's going to be Okay. But I just always find myself hungry, wanting more. And I don't know specifically what it is for you, what you're striving after, what you're hungry for. But I do know there's something, something that you want to go after that you think is going to fulfill you, something that's going to give you uh, that just satisfaction that you so crave. And so we go into New Year's. We make resolutions, which aren't bad. Man, we want to see change. We want to create, innovate, work, grow. Man, we want to always be improving. And that, that's just who we are. But the underside of this, most of the time, it begins to consume us. We either feel like we're succeeding and that's our identity is, man, I've done this really well. Or we feel like we failed because we can't keep it. And so there's hunger and there's just a desire for more and more. And so today we're going to ask the question, where do we look to be fully satisfied? Where do we turn? And you may be thinking, AJ, the Sunday school answer tells me it's Jesus. And I'm here to tell you the Sunday school answer is right. All right, it's Jesus. That's where we're going to turn because our main idea today is that in Jesus, we are never left hungry. Another way to say this is in Jesus, we are fully satisfied. And so we're going to look at John 6 today. And, and this is where we get to see Jesus declare that he is the bread of life and the bread that will give us life everlasting. But in John 6, if you open up your Bibles or, or turn them on or however you get to the Word of God, you're going to see that there's 71 verses in there. And to help outline our time today, we're going to kind of break it up into three chunks. We're going to look at, number one, the miracles, uh, number two, the declaration, and number three, the reality. And so there's going to be familiar parts in this passage. And to be honest, we could really break this up into three, four, maybe even five sermons. Um, but as we were planning for this, and we were looking at, man, what do we want to preach? What do we want to teach on? Man, we saw this entire chapter as one just interaction or snapshot in Jesus's life. And so it helps us sometimes to look at this in its context and what's all going on because it all feeds into one another. And today we're not going to dig into just one piece of John chapter 6. We're going to zoom out and look at all of it. And in that, we're going to begin to zoom in on Jesus's teachings towards the back end of the chapter. And so... I'm extremely thankful that I don't have to cover every gym in this and that our brother, uh, Elder Ryan Corbin, covered some of this last week. 
And so if you didn't have a chance to watch that yet, it's online. Uh, go be blessed by that. He talks and preaches on, man, Jesus walking on the water and he, as him and the great I am. And man, just be blessed by that. But because we have 71 verses today, I'm not going to read them all. All right. I think we'd be blessed by that, but I think we're going to also go a different direction here. And I'm going to pick a few verses throughout the chapter and we're going to hone in on those. And so during our time, we're going to see John 6, uh, man, I hope come alive. But I want to challenge you, man, today or this week, man, I want you to go read John 6, all 71 verses. And man, just enjoy what God does in these verses. Let it just sit in those and really rest in what God is doing here. But to jump into our time today, first, we're going to look at number one, the miracles. And we're going to look at the fourth and fifth miracles in the book of John that's pointing, uh, Jesus is doing these things to point others to show that he is the Messiah who has come. He continues to do this as he turns water into wine and he heals people and all these different things that he's doing. He's showing others that he is the Messiah that's come. We come out of a Christmas season where we celebrate this. We've declared this, that he has come here at New City. We celebrate that he's coming and we don't want to miss here what he's declaring to those around him, that he is the son of God. He's come to give life to those who would believe. And so the first miracle that we're going to see in John chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000. And so here's a quick recap of how all this goes on. Is that coming out of John 5 and through the other gospels, we're able to see um, out of John 5 that Jesus brought the heat to the religious leaders in John 5. And so a crowd's been around them. The disciples, man, they've been ministering. And, man, they've been going hard. Um, throughout Jesus' early ministry right here. And so what Jesus does, he's being loving and wise and seeing that his disciples are weary, man, he takes them away. He takes them away just to be like, hey, let's go get some rest. Let's rejuvenate. Let me pour into you. I need to rest. And so we see this. But what, what we see happening really fast in John 6 is that the crowd's like, nah, we're, we're not done yet. We want a little bit more of you, Jesus. And so we're just gonna follow you. We're gonna follow you to your disciple retreat. And so in that, the other gospel said that when Jesus saw them coming, we get to see that he saw them as a sheep without a shepherd. And we get to see his compassion. And so he healed their sick. And this is who Jesus is at his core. We see this throughout scripture as he's ministering to the weary and the wondering. He's there meeting them. And so Jesus, though, being Jesus, realizes these people need to eat. And so what does he do? He asks in uh, John, he asks Philip, he says, where will we buy bread so that these people will eat? And Philip, man, he, he begins, he's kind of, he's a calculator. He begins to like run the numbers. He sees all these people, he's running things. And he goes, it's going to take us 76% of a year's wage to feed all of these people. Because remember, it's the 5,000. And so it's like 76% of a year's work. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I don't know if we can do this, Jesus. And so we're like, okay. Another disciple, Andrew, comes up. You're like, all right, he's got it together. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. You're like, all right, Andrew, let's do something. But then he goes, man, what is this for so many? And so he's like, well, maybe we can't do this. But Jesus, being Jesus, just says, have the people sit down. Just have them sit down. And they obeyed and they counted and there were 5,000. And from there, Jesus gives thanks. He distributes the bread and the fish and the people ate as much as they wanted. With five loaves and two fish, 5,000 plus people got their fill of food. And so that, that in and of itself is miraculous. But then the, once the people were full, they saw that they had leftovers, 12 baskets full. And the reaction 
which is really cool, they declared that Jesus was the promised prophet. They declared that he was the one that was talked about in Deuteronomy 18. And so Jesus, knowing that they were about to come and take him and make him their king, withdrew from them. And so Jesus, when evening came, the other gospels say he sent his disciples down and they got in the boat and went across the sea. And so a storm comes up and then they try to keep it all together. And this is where Brother Corbin, man, he just knocks it out the park. And so go be blessed by that. But Jesus comes to them walking on water and he says, it is I, do not be afraid. And so then we get to Jesus' teaching in the, uh, the later part of the chapter, and we're about to dive into that. But before we jump into the other two-thirds of the passage, man, I, wanna, I think I would be remiss if I just summarized what happened in John 6 in the early parts. And so I want to give us kind of four kind of things to hold on to out of that. And so that's under our first kind of four subpoints uh, under the miracles here. Because I think what is worth pointing out first and foremost comes even before the miracles happen. Is that, is that we see that Jesus doesn't turn away from people. He, Jesus doesn't turn away from people. And all that's happening and all that's going on in Jesus' life, they're weary and they're doing ministry over and over and over. But instead of turning away and still trying to find rest, Jesus goes to them. On a trip to rejuvenate, he shows that he's about the Father's work. He's about doing the things, that, things of God because he himself is God which shows us our second point under this point is that Jesus is in step with the father. I love how scripture just builds on itself. It's one of those like beautiful things where you're able just to see out of John five, we saw that Jesus does nothing on his own, but only does what he sees the father doing. And so in being in step with the father, Jesus gives them thanks and providing uh, for providing the food and then performs his fourth miracle, showing those around him, showing them that he is the son of God. And so Jesus continues to demonstrate his power and the people of Israel are in awe uh, that we saw. If you go back and look at verse 14, they're in awe of who Jesus is and they declare rightly that Jesus is the promised prophet out of Deuteronomy 18. And so that's our third point is Jesus is the promised prophet. And they realized Jesus was that and they, but in that though, there's something important for us before we move on. He was the promised prophet, but they had their own ideas of what that meant. They assumed wrongly the promised prophet was to come and free them from the bondage. Once again, they find themselves under, uh, under the oppression of Rome. They wanted a savior who would free them from being under Ro Roman government rule. They wanted a savior who would once again make them a great nation of themselves. That's what they wanted. But what we'll see in a minute as we dive into Jesus' teachings is that Jesus did come. He is the promised prophet uh, to free them from bondage, but it was a bondage much greater than Rome, more powerful than Rome. He came to free them from sin and to make a way back to God. And this leads us to our last kind of point under number one is that Jesus is I am. In verse 20, we see Jesus declare, it is I, do not be afraid. And as Elder Ryan showed us last week, this is literally translated I am and would have drawn the disciples' minds back to Exodus 3, where God declares his name for the first time. And so Jesus, throughout these two miracles, is showing those around him and us here today that he is the Son of God. He came and performed miracles to point us to the reality that he has come, that God himself has come to restore and to heal what is broken and to make things right again. He came because he knew we were hungry. We were seeking to find our fill in things that would never last. We even see it in the story of the 5,000. Philip's seeking to find the answer to the problem uh, by just calculating it up, but realizing it's not calculable. 
It's not doable. It's too expensive. It's too daunting. Andrew comes to the same conclusion that things just aren't enough. There, there needs to be more. We can't fulfill this hunger. And I think we all come to this point at one, at one point or another. Because we see in, the, in these that the crowd and the disciples were hungry. They were seeking to be fed. A crowd was physically hungry. The disciples were desperate for help. We've just come out of the holidays where we seek to be filled with food and presents or a vacation and show up here today sometimes just more tired and hungry than we've been. We're here. I, my holiday was exhausting. It was a lot. And I need rest. Because I know that the money we spilled offend the the money we spend to fill the void with presents and other things never seems to satisfy. It just never gets there. Man, the relationships that we try to have, man, they create temporary intimacy, but it doesn't erase the feeling of loneliness and feeling unknown or unseen. We struggle with that. Man, our jobs, man, we think fulfill us, but it, as we get time away from them, it just shows how much control they actually have on us and how there's even more important things than that than building out this career. For me, it's even parenting. Man, going away and spending time with family and all these kids, man, I, it's fulfilling, it's important. Man, I love it. But I, I realized quickly, and, and I knew this, that my children are not perfect. And I pride myself, man, I'm a good dad, I'm a good parent. But when they misbehave or anything like that, I realized that there's a pocket of pride there that quickly falls. And I realized, man, I, I don't have that. That's not the thing that fulfills me. And so we find ourselves, I think we all can think of that thing where we have this hunger and this desire for more. And thankfully, praise God that our text speaks to this today. And that leads us to our point number two, the declaration. I love that Jesus doesn't just let the miracle speak for themselves. They could, and we could pull a lot of things out from that. But Jesus declares profoundly where we find our hunger satisfied. And we remember Coming to this passage, remember that we're realizing we're all hungry. We're all thirsty, seeking to find what gives us life. And Jesus boldly proclaims in our passage today that we are seek, what we are seeking is him. Let's look at verse 35 together of John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. People... These people Jesus is speaking to right now have followed him. They followed him across the Sea of Galilee after being fed the bread and the fish in a miraculous way. They find him in the synagogue in Capernaum because they're like, where'd he go? And that's where Jesus naturally goes. He goes to the synagogues and he's teaching and he calls them out. He calls them out as they approach him. Because what they're coming for is they're not coming because they saw something miraculous. They're coming just to be fed more. Jesus talks about this right before we see Jesus' declaration in verse 35. We see this beautiful, um, that beautiful declaration. He, they come and he's like, you come not for because you saw wondrous things. You came because you got your fill of bread. But Jesus tells him, man, you should be working for the bread that endures for eternal life. These people in this interaction, as you read this, and they mishear him and they're like, oh, we just need to be doing the works of God. That's what you want us to be doing. He's like, no, you don't do the works of God. Man, the work of God is to see people believe in the one he has sent. Believe in me. That's what he continually is putting before them. And when he's like, believe in me, these people, man, audaciously, man, they just come at him and they want a sign that he is from God. And I just got to think, man, these people got the memory of a goldfish. They're like, man, what, what are you doing right now? 
that you forgot what happened yesterday and they wanted more. And I, when I read scripture, to be completely honest with you, it's a new year. I'm going to be honest. I was honest in 2021, but I'm going to be honest in 2022 too. Man, I, I read this and I just shake my head. I go, man, you silly people. What are you doing? Do you not remember? And then I realize I don't remember. I'm not the one. I easily forget what God has done. They wanted Jesus to be the king on their terms. They wanted the king to come and praise God the king came. Jesus came, but in a different way than they expected. He wasn't born in, um, he wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a manger. He came to serve, not be served. He came ready to take the sins of the world, not seek political dominance. And so political dominance wasn't going to satisfy the hunger these people had. And I'm here to tell you that political dominance or being in the right party is not going to satisfy us today. Having more material things, being on top, they weren't going to satisfy these people. They were seeking after what perishes. And I think today for us, it's no different. Man, if we seek out the fashionable clothes or the right car or the new tech gadget, though they're cool, man, they all eventually fade away, leaving us hungry. Man, these people were seeking out the next manna or bread from heaven. And God gave the Israelites wandering in the desert. Man, he gave them manna. He gave them a good gift. But what we know about the manna from heaven in the Old Testament is that it perished. It needed to be renewed daily. And I can't help but think, do we find ourselves in 2022 seeking out updated and shinier manna, realizing that it's all perishing? And so this leads us back to the profound declaration in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Jesus declares that he is the bread of life and whoever comes to him will never be hungry or thirsty again. We see Jesus declaring one of the great seven I am statements in this book of John. And he's directing them back just as he did, man, to Exodus 3 when God reveals his name. And he's declaring that what he said throughout this chapter and other moments in John and throughout his early life, that God was giving bread from heaven that gives life. Man, it's beautiful. He's giving bread that gives life, eternal life. And he was referring to himself because he is the bread of life. Jesus is the one from heaven who came to satisfy the hunger and thirst we all have. But as he does, Jesus isn't talking just about the physical bread here. Jesus uses the physical to point us to something spiritual. And so when Jesus is referring to the true bread that he talks about in verse 32, he's the one who's able to nourish people eternally and spiritually. He is far superior to the manna given to the Israelites because he'll never perish. He'll never fade away. He is far superior to anything that we can try to quench our hunger with here today. Because our souls, wherever we're at, long to be satisfied in Christ. And Jesus came to satisfy our souls. When we believe in Jesus and his finished work done on the cross and leaving the tomb empty, we shall not hunger, we shall not thirst. And I love this hidden gem that we find in verse 37. I love this when it says, all the Father, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And I love the truth that those who come to Jesus, he just will never cast out. Man, it, I don't know about y'all, this is a promise I try to hold on to daily. Man, where 
man, I just feel unworthy or I feel like I've just, man, just messed up or I feel like I got to work enough. Man, I know that it'll never cast me out. And so you, you may be here this morning, you may not be trusted in Christ and maybe you are. And in either way, you might be fearful of coming to Jesus and he'll just reject you as you are. Man, you, you haven't done enough. You haven't cleaned up enough. You haven't memorized enough scripture. You haven't got the right grade. Man, you haven't done enough good works. In all these things, we ask, man, what is enough? Man, what scripture, I'm here to tell you and encourage you this morning, what scripture calls us to is to believe in the one whom God has sent. We see it throughout this chapter we see that God sent Jesus and we're seeing today that he is the one who fully satisfies. Man, I love how scripture talks about as somebody who loves a good checklist, somebody who loves to, man, really lean into the task list. Man, I love that what scripture calls us to is faithfulness, not perfection. I struggle with that. I really do. But man, he calls us to believe and to be faithful. Because in Jesus, we're never left hungry. We're never cast out. When we come to him, we're accepted, not based on anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done, because he is the bread of life. Man, I love that this passage shows us that he's not going to lose anything or anyone, but he will raise it up on the last day, giving us full restoration of the brokenness of this world and making all things new. Man, I love that there's restoration in Christ. He doesn't leave us in our mess, but we also don't have to clean up our mess to come to him. We're able just to come to Christ as we are, and he meets us there. And I love that. I love that he's making all things new. But as we realize that that's what he's doing, there's a reality, and that's point number three for us that we have to deal with today. I mean, because there's a realness to all this. Sometimes when I read my Bible at times, it's easy just to say that was then. What about now? It's easy to take that and just think, well, this is really good teaching, or I'm not saying that about myself, but what scripture says, let's be clear. Um, but in all these things, man, what do we do with this? Because there is a reality to this. Because Jesus didn't teach in the abstract for us just to think about it, but there's a truth around this. Because he came to make sure all those who would come to him will never hunger. And so we must ask, how does this come to be? How do we never hunger? How do we have the bread of life? And so let's look at verse 51 together. And this is Jesus speaking in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Y'all, we just moved into some theological deep waters. All right. But, and when I read these type of verses, Man, the, the verse that always pops into my head uh, is 1 Corinthians 1.18, where it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Man, when I read that, man, I will give my flesh. What is happening here? We're, we're about to even move into something else seems folly. But it throws us, it can throw us for a loop. Like, what are you talking about? And if we're not careful, we can get thrown for a loop. It threw those listening in John chapter 6 for a loop. But thankfully, Jesus continues. And so we pick up in verse 53, where Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Y'all, Jesus came to satisfy the hunger in our souls. And in, so, in, in doing so, began the process of restoring us back to himself until he returns. But the reality we have to deal with is what this cost him. And we have to deal with this because, as in many other settings, Jesus is using the physical here. He's using the physical to point us to the spiritual truth he's trying to convey. And the people listening in this passage miss this. The critics of Christianity, especially early Christianity, they missed this, that he's using the physical to point us to the uh, spiritual because the early church, and even now there's a criticism, and the church is just a bunch of cannibals. You want us to eat the flesh and drink the blood? What is he talking about? But he's talking about this beautiful spiritual truth that we must be willing to believe that he is the bread of life. And where if you stick with me, are you able to eat the radicalness of it? Are you able to eat the radicalness of that he is the bread of life that is everlasting? Is there really a man who is from God who is able to provide everlasting life? Who is able to quench the hunger you felt all your life? And he doesn't just quench it for a day or a week or a month or a year, but for all of eternity. We believe this by eating the flesh. Meaning, man, that we trust in the death of Jesus and that through his death, he was able to pay the penalty for our sins. He went and died the death we deserve so that we could be called children of God. Do we believe that? Are we able to take that in and believe it? Are we able to drink the blood? Meaning that we trust in the atoning work done on the cross. Do we believe that Jesus's Excuse me. Do you believe that Jesus' death paid the penalty for our sin and that through his work on the cross, we are now seen as righteous? That our sins have been washed away. That crimson stain of sin has been washed white as snow by the blood of Jesus. Do you believe that? Man, scripture is clear, man. It, it's a hard saying what Jesus is saying. Many of Jesus' disciples thought so, and they were not on board for him speaking literally. They were like, no, we don't want any part of that. And so what we see in this passage is that they walked away. When we realize, though, that Jesus wasn't speaking literally, but instead pointing to a greater spiritual truth, we have to reckon with the truth that we were designed to feast on God. That's how we were created and designed. We were designed to feast on God. Man, I, this is one of my favorite kind of lines as it pertains to fasting. I mean, that's a wonderful spiritual discipline. And one of the things I've been trying to grow in and one of the ways that, and something, somewhere that I read it just said, man, fasting is giving up something to feast on something greater. And so we get to do that. And so we feast on God. In fasting, we typically uh, give up food, which nourishes and gives you know, life to our bodies. And what do we go feast on? We give something, we go feast on something else. Man, we feast on the bread of life. Man, we feast on what will nourish and satisfy our souls. Remember, our main point today is that, man, in Jesus, we never are left hungry. And so the question that I ask us today is, man, what are we feasting on? Man, what is nourishing your souls? 
Because at times, for me, it can feel counterproductive to feast on God and not the task list. I'm just being really honest. It does. I'm like, man, I can do a lot more if I go do. But God's like, no, simply abide in me. But I'm like, no, I need to go do the work. He says, no, abide. I, I, I challenged our team uh, before, uh, before the holidays. I said, man, I want you to go and spend a few hours with God over the next two weeks. I want you to do that and spend some real intentional time with God. And man, I, it was, I was excited to give them that charge, but then it got like into the holiday season. I was like, what have I done? This is busy. Where am I going to find this time to feast on the Lord? All I got is cookies. And so in this though, man, I, I was thinking, and I told my wife, Jordan, and it was one of those things where I was like, I had to like intentionally carve out some time amidst the craziness and the activities and all the things we had going on. And man, it was, it was sweet. Man, it was sweet to just spend uninterrupted time with the Lord. But I had to fight for that because I wanted to go and do and be and all these other places. But man, when I did that, it was far better than any present or cookie or activity that we had planned. It was, it was sweet time with my Savior. And so we asked the question, what does it look like to come and feast on Him? And I think the simplest answer is, man, we spend just quiet, unhurried time in God's Word. It's time where we're able to really just sit in God's word and pray through it and let it fill our minds and our bodies and we truly feast on it because he is the bread of life and we can continue to feast on it throughout the day as we hold it up in our hearts. We feast on the promises of God found in God's word. And so I I love that we get to able to feast on him, not just when we have our Bibles open, but when we have God's word in our hearts. And we're able to do that in the way we serve and the way we interact with others. Man, I love that later today in our sermon, we're going to take some time and we're going to take communion together. Man, we're going to intentionally stop and reflect on what Jesus has done for us. Now, I get this isn't a typical communion passage, but man, it sets up all the communion passages in the New Testament. Because what we see is that Jesus is going to shed his blood His body is going to be broken on our behalf. Because we get to remember in communion that Jesus' blood that was spilt, we remember as we take and drink the juice together, we remember that it was Jesus' perfect sacrifice that made a way back to God for us. We remember that it's Jesus' blood that washes us white as snow. When we take the bread together, we remember that it's Jesus' body that was broken so that we could be restored. It was broken so that we didn't have to be. And so we get to do, reflect on all that he's done as we take communion, as we will in a little bit. This will be a time for us to feast, if you will, on the promise from the God that those who believe in him may have an everlasting life. Man, it's a time to feast on the promise that man, when he will raise us up on the last day when he returns. Man, that's one of my favorite parts of communion is that we get to look back, but it's also a promise to look forward. Man, we get to see what God's doing and that he will come again. And so all this can be really hard though, because if we really sit in it and we abide in what God's saying, man, it's life-changing. It means giving over your life to Jesus. It means getting out of the driver's seat and into the back seat 
and giving Jesus full control over what's going on. And it was hard for those listening and even following Jesus at this time. They left. They left them. You can read that in John 6. The many left after he said these hard things. They couldn't believe what Jesus was telling them was true. Whether they were taking it literally or even if they understood it, they didn't want to surrender to it. As I read this, I see them. I see they were following for what they could get. Man, they wanted to be a part of the next big thing or they wanted just to make their life better. But what they weren't about was giving their lives over to the Son of God. They weren't giving themselves over to the one who could save and giving up control. Because Jesus makes it clear in verse 63. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And in that, I once again go, man, this is hard. Man, this is hard because I'm like, man, I got this. Rocky Balboa tells me, keep punching. You got this. Just keep going. Keep going. It's going to be all right. We've come out of two really hard years, and we want to be like, man, just keep going. It's got to get better, doesn't it? I mean, it's got to. But in, the, in this, I see, man, my flesh is no help at all for what's really mattering, for the things of eternal significance, because it's by Christ alone that we're saved. And so the reality is that we live, the reality that we live in is that we have to do something with what Jesus is saying. Am I going to try to work and earn it because Scripture is saying that's no help at all? Or am I going to trust in Christ? And so if you're here today and have not trusted in Jesus, then I challenge you to wrestle with what you're hearing out of John 6. Go read it. See Jesus' words. Because Jesus is telling us that we can't do anything to save ourselves. And there's nothing in this world that's going to satisfy that hunger that you have. You can seek out other things, but at the end of those things, you will find yourself hungry and wanting more. Wherever you turn, one thing after another, you'll find yourself wanting more. I'm here to tell you this morning that what you're looking for, wherever you're at in life, wherever you're at, it's, in, it's found in Jesus. It's in Jesus that you're going to be fully satisfied. Because we all here today must deal with this reality found in John 6. Do we walk away as we hear these things? Do we walk away as many of the disciples and the crowd did? Or do we reject this notion that there's someone that can quench the hunger and feed the beast that's inside of all of us? Or do we respond like the 12 disciples did, and more specifically Peter, when Jesus asked the 12? Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Man, I love that this in and of itself is another declaration. Man, it's a declaration uh, by Peter. And maybe you're sitting here today and you've trusted in, trusted in Christ as the Holy One of God, but if you haven't, man, I hope that you will, that you'll believe in Him for eternal life. But my question today is, are you feasting on this? Are you feasting on the truth that in Jesus we're never left hungry? In Jesus that we're fully satisfied because there's many good things out there. There are. Man, the world is full of them. God is a good God. He has made good things all around us. But let us not mistake what the good things in this world, man, for what will truly satisfy us and give us life forevermore. 
Let us continually go to the word of God and see the richness and the fullness that is found there. Let us dig in and be fully satisfied with where we are and where God is leading us because he's constantly leading us back to himself. It's a sweet truth that we get to, to rest in and that God just is calling us to abide. He's calling us just to rest in him, to feast upon him. I recently uh, read a story about Christopher Parkening. And so this name may not sound familiar to, to you. It wasn't familiar to me. Um, and unless you're in the world of classical guitar uh, or world-renowned fly, fly fisherman, it's probably not going to ring a bell. But when I read his story, man, it stuck out to me because he was somebody. And I'm just going to call him Chris because we're close now because I read his story. Um, I'm going to call him Chris. Man, he had it all. Self-declared, he had it all. Man, he started playing the classical guitar at age 11, and man, he just soared. He was one of those prodigies. Man, by 18, man, he was uh, being taught by the greatest classical guitarist of all time. By 21, man, he was playing venues that just people dreamed of playing in. He was turning down more gigs than he, than he could play. He had it all. He had the money. He had the tour. He had everything he had dreamed of since picking up a guitar at age 11. And it was one of the wildest things that he just was working and playing to get to the top. Man, he was there, and the top came quickly. He was one of those just like, right to the top. And he got there, and he began to realize it was just monotonous. It was routine. I guess when people are really good, it feels that way. But he was just tired of it. And then he had this intense desire and hunger to succeed. But when he got there, he realized he was just playing at this point to purchase his independence. He just wanted out. And so he shocked the classical musical world, which I wasn't following at the time. But, but in that, he shocked him and he walked away. He said, well, I'm going to go to my ranch in Bozeman, Montana, because that's what you do. And he took up his love for fly fishing, which he'd done. But in that, in, in a year's time, because this is who Chris is, he went and he became a world-renowned fly fisherman, winning tournaments and all these other things. And I love this, just how he continued to battle, though, when he came to the pinnacle of all these things, he just battled with meaninglessness. He battled with it. And in an interview, he said, the shock of finding that having everything you ever dreamed of is a hollow existence is indescribable. Within a year of getting everything, getting literally all the things I ever thought would make me happy, I felt completely empty inside. He had it all. But something was missing. He went in this interview that I got to read about, man, he just kept saying something was missing. Man, I had the fame, I had the money, I had the status and the applause of all these different things. But something was missing. And it wasn't until he was out in L.A. with a friend and he went to church that he found what he was looking for. He found that what he was looking for and the hunger that he had could be satisfied only in Jesus. He realized that, man, he could, he could continue to play and he continued to fish all that he wanted. But in these things, they weren't going to satisfy because he didn't have, man, what he ultimately needed. And that was Christ. 
And so he gave his life to Christ. And in Jesus, he was no longer hungry for what he was after. He didn't desire the appraise, the praise of men. He didn't desire to fill up concert venues or to catch the biggest fish. He, he loved those things. And he began to use those things as platforms for God's glory. I love the quote, and maybe it's just because I love to fish. But he said, man, God gave me two things to do well. I could play the guitar and I could fish. And I just decided to do all those for the glory of God. Because in all things, and what he said was, he says, nothing satisfied me until I found Christ. Nothing. His hunger was never quenched. Anything like that. Anything. His hunger, the desire for all these things was never quenched until he found Christ. And he came back to playing the guitar and he kept fishing and all those for the glory of God. But God showed this man the things of this world, though good, man, they're never meant to replace him. And so we can try and fill our lives with the bread of this world. Man, we can go and try to work and make this year the best year ever. And, and those, those aren't bad things. But in those things, we're always going to be hungry. And so I hope we realize that in Jesus, in Christ alone, we're never left hungry. And that's where I want us to feast on, feast on the bread of life. Let's pray. God, you are, you're so good. God, you, you've came down from your throne so that we could be with you. You came so that we could have life everlasting. And that comes only, only through you. And so God, I pray that we continue to, continue to trust in you, continue to turn to you and feast upon you. And that God, if there's someone who hasn't turned to you, Lord, I pray that they will, that they'll have conversations here today. Because Lord, you are... You're worthy of it all. And so we give you all glory, honor, and praise. See so your name that we pray. Amen.